listen, for you all, the schedule, no time at all. But this is the first time in a while where Emily and I can say we haven't recorded on this project in ages. And I am so excited to get back into Words of Radiance. And Emily, I am so sorry to have made you wait. But this week on My Sister Made Me View It, covering the Cosmere, that's just what we're doing now, shocker, (laughs) Emily read chapter, in Words of Radiance, Emily read chapter 12 and interlude one and interlude two. (sighs) Emily, can I get your general first impressions? Wait, are we going to do the... My name is Meg and I should be storyboarding. And yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, my name is Meg and I should be writing script notes. My name is Emily and I should be working on my book. But instead. Instead. We're making a podcast. A podcast. Um, I have something to say. That Something to say. Something to say. Just I wanted to give you guys a little fun piece of news. I finished my very first fanfic ever this week. Oh my gosh, Emily! It's done. And now, are you gonna are you gonna share it with your sister? I could. I see. The thing is, I still have to write part two and three, so it's not okay. done done. But it's the first one I've ever finished, start to finish, and I'm very proud of myself. So I've That's actually amazing. been doing that instead of working on my book. But I will get back to my book. But that's that's just... still writing. Uh, do you want to tell your listeners word count or fandom or anything about it? It's the Avengers fandom, and it is 50,000 words. <gasps> that's a whole NaNoWriMo novel. <laughs> Emily, wow! <laughs> wow! I've only been working on it since Avengers 2012 came out. <laughs> I was just going to ask, is this phase one, two, or three? But um, listen, are they all are they all family that lives in the tower? No, it takes place during the Avengers, but it's not about the Avengers. It's a story that runs oh. concurrently, perpendicularly alongside. Ready, ready. <laughs> Avengers Shadow. <laughs> so I just had to share that with everybody. I'm very pleased with myself. Oh. I'm so proud of you. It feels so good to finish stuff. Amazing. Look at you. Amazing. Guess who else has had a really good week, you guys? Is it your dog? No, it's Megan. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know when this episode will come out, um, but I just got a two-week vacation that turned into a one-week vacation because of something else. (laughs) So I'm just like, I have to put as much fun into this weekend as humanly possible before I start my first episode as a director! I'm officially directing right now. It's very exciting. But I had honestly too much fun over the weekend. Just (laughs) too much. I went to the Bridgerton Ball with my friend Kelly and I did a lot of curtsying. I, pr- I practiced my curtsies and everything. Then during the dance, they also had a lot of us. So, like, there was Regency dance with, again, more curtsying, more bowing. And then there was, like, modern dancing. And they had someone come out and teach us. Not teach us, but somebody come out and, like, encourage us to do dancing. And we dropped it low to the floor a lot. And, y'all, this is just a long way of saying I woke up the next day and my thighs were on fire. <laughs> I am so sore from doing 
basically 500 squats in a fancy dress. <laughs> that could be the next exercise crave way Regency curtsies. <laughs> But uh, the soreness, I had to just put it all behind me because I woke up at 6 o'clock in the morning to go to Disneyland because this is like the last time I'm going to go to Disneyland probably until this whole Star Trek season is over. And so I'm like, I'm going to have fun all day. All day. And I mostly stayed in California Adventure, which normally I park out between the two, but I was just I was just having fun. And I was just chilling. I went with some friends for their birthday, so... Hello, friend, if you're listening to this podcast, and he is a Stormlight fan. And Megan is being modest. She video chatted me while she was on Avengers Campus oh, yeah. and took me around Avengers Campus. I took it Emily on a great. walking tour. We saw Captain Marvel. We saw Marvel, a bunch of characters. We saw Wanda. We saw Thor. Um, I swear we saw Captain America. We saw a bunch of we people. We did. We did. It's so funny because the characters that come out in Star Wars Land are all uh, new trilogy. Like, they keep the timeline of that locked down really tight. But then you go over to Avengers Land, and you're like, that is Captain America, the first Avenger. But that's definitely, like, I saw Sam as Captain America, like, 20 (laughs) minutes ago, and he was signing autographs next to Iron Man, so they don't care about time. Uh, I'm really sad. I finally waited to watch the cool, flippy Spider-Man show. It's like less than three minutes long oh. i was actually disappointed oh, no. and i was like come on come on you could do better i don't actually like listen this episode is not about what i think of the disney part <laughs> but i feel the use of space in the avengers campus is poor when it comes to entertainment and shows because, you know, you've got, like, the Spider-Man show. It's at the entrance. A bunch of people clog up the entrance to watch it. And then it's less than three minutes. And you've, you're have you in, basically, this alleyway because it's crammed between the Web Slingers ride and the Cars ride that's next to it. Not a good experience. And then there's a new Great Doctor Strange show that I've never, ever gotten to see Because it's set in the Doctor Strange area and it's a very small space with giant doors and hedges in front of it. So there's no good eye lines to it if you aren't any of like the 30 people that fit in that space. And again, that's bad show. But they had Thor and Loki in their 2012 costumes (laughs) walking around trailing two very different crowds of teenagers (laughs) behind them. What what crowd would you be in? I'm going to guess Loki for you because you love 2012 Loki. See, but here's the thing, and this is what I was thinking of. I really like Tom Hiddleston. (laughs) And that's definitely not Tom Hiddleston, but I'm a sucker for any large muscular man that could pass for Thor. (laughs) (laughs) Um, the, uh, The character performer hilariously looks like Liam Hemsworth instead of Chris Hemsworth, so I got a giggle about that. Anyway. Uh, welcome to the Disney Parks Adventure Hour. I'm your host, <laughs> Megan. So today was my first day as a director, and it was so full, and it was so busy, and now I have a bunch of stuff to do even after we finish podcasting. But I made a schedule, and I'm like, if you're going to have a good work-life balance, these are the things you need to be able to hit every day. And it includes at least 20 minutes of movement. 
I, I was like, even like, listen, we're going to lower the bar so you don't burn yourself out. You don't even have to call it 20 minutes of exercise. You have to call it 20 minutes of movement. And I was just going to get up and do easy 20 minutes on the treadmill. I woke up and combined with my 500 curtsies, <laughs> add to that my 16 hours at Disneyland, my legs were like, I don't think so. <laughs> In fact, I think not. So, <laughs> this is so funny. I put on my timer and I laid in my bed. I did not even get out of my bed. And I just did like leg lifts and arm lifts <laughs> and and like, okay, so you lay on your stomach, but you like raise your booty up in the air. I did a bunch of hip crunches and I laid on my back. I did, anyway, basically I just did a workout on my bed and then I crawled out of bed to do my 15 minutes of picking up my room and I was like, ah. <sighs> But it was a good start. I feel really great about hitting everything on my to-do list, even if I didn't hit it to the (laughs) highest of my capable capacity. But enough about us. I know these poor listeners, they're like, yeah, we, it's been no time at all for us. Why are you guys giving us such a huge update? In this week's reading, we get a couple glimpses around the world in our interludes. But before that happens... Someone significant makes it to the Shattered Plains. Emily, what did you think about I these loved chapters? all of this. I loved all of it. That was very loud. You're going to have to turn the gains way down on that. I'm so sorry. I forgot how much I love this book. I forgot how much I love this series. It has been, I don't even want to say how long since we've been able to record together and I've been able to read it. But like, I was, I'm home alone. And I was reading this while I was on my exercise bike and stuff would happen and I would just yell out loud. And I'm just like, I'm so glad no one else is here because I'm a crazy person right now. <laughs> one of the things I yelled really loud was, is rock a radiant? A rockiant. <laughs> because so we're in chapter 12. We'll go back and do the the epigraph or whatever, but but rock can see spren that other people can't. But I guess it's regular spren. But I don't know. That's just I I don't know. I was I'm now I'm like I want because Kaladin can see them, but nobody else can see them. But rock can see them. Megan <laughs> is rock a radiant? Okay, I'm trying to decide <laughs> whether to rafo or to tell you. Okay. Listen, it's book two, our lives are different now, and I am going to be telling Emily more information. So, Emily, Rock is not, uh, to my knowledge, a radiant. Okay. But the Horn Eater people, because of something way back in their genealogy, in their ancestry, can see Spren. They can see all Spren, even when they're not currently manifesting. Oh. that's so cool and that's why in the first book he was able to see sill all the time even when sill wasn't purposefully showing herself okay because normally reveals herself only to kaladin um and and the other men can't see her all of the time Mm -hmm. but because of something in and it's not just rock so he's not you know he's not a special i mean he is to me (laughs) but this isn't a mystical chosen one power that only he has. His family, his 
community, they have a special connection with Spren because of something. Ooh, and I'll okay. maybe you'll find out what that is later. Maybe we will. All right. Thank you for allowing me to jump ahead. We should go back to the beginning of the chapter. Yeah, Emily, uh, give me a give me an epigraph for Whoa. chapter twelve. Okay. So I had a little mini heart episode as I was reading this because I got confused. Um, it says, unfortunately, we fixated upon Sadius's plotting so much that we did not take note of the changed pattern of our enemies, the murders of my husband, the true danger. Oh, the murderers of my husband, the true danger. I would like to know what wind brought about their sudden inexplicable transformation. It says it's from the journey of Nivani Colin. Yes, it's Yes, it's 1174. Yeah. I almost fell off the bike because i thought that she was referencing to a future murderer of dalinar <laughs> they are not married they are living in sin <laughs> i was very worried listen i want to be very clear that's not how i consider it that is how dalinar considers it <laughs> also putting it out into the universe i want them to get married i want them to be I want them to be truly happy together. Well, do you think the church would, like, be chill with that? I don't know. This isn't the Church of England. I don't know. Well, no. I, we've They've talked about before that legally, they're, because she's married to his brother, she's his sister. They don't have to get married in Alethkar. They can go somewhere else. Hi, my nephew is the king of Alethkar, but we're not going to get married in Alethkar, the country that I founded with my own brother. I think we'll go somewhere else. You can do that, okay? Okay, I guess they'll just have to find a higher authority somewhere. Or an ardent that, you know, doesn't care. Elope to the Pure Lakes. (laughs) Be a lovely honeymoon spot. That would be. It would be nice, right, to just chill Put your feet in the water. Mm-hmm. Catch a magic fish or two. Yeah. So we, this is a Kaladin chapter. And through like 96% of this chapter, it is Kaladin experimenting with his new abilities. And um, Sigzil making notes and them experimenting with a bunch of different things. And it was such a fun chapter because uh-huh. no one's in danger of dying. They're not fighting yeah. for their lives. It's just like, ooh, can we do th- <gasps> Try this, try this, try this. Stick me to the wall. Put me on the wall. Stick me on the wall. Like, they just get to <laughs> do fun stuff. And poor Sigzel is like, okay, we're, we're being scientific about this, but how do we set a control? How do we measure? Like, how do we record? And Kaladin's like, this was your idea. And he's like, I'm, I'm not good enough. I can't do this. And yeah, Kaladin's like, come on, man. Yes, you can. I loved, I, I connected with Sigzel at this point because they're trying to measure how long something will last, how long Kaladin mm-hmm. can do something. And so they, they stick a rock to the wall and have rock go up and hang on it to see how long and then Sigil's just like, no, we should actually just put it on the wall and not have anyone touch it and see if we can get a measure that way. But Sigil's just like, I don't know how to measure Stormlight. You know, 
and Kaladin's like, well, we measure it by the sort of chips that are in, in the spheres because they're all supposedly, you know, measure the same. Which, I did not know this, but in our very real world, there is an official set of measurements that, like, it's like an actual physical weight that's like, this is what a kilogram weighs. And there's people that, like, guard it and take care of it. And I think that would be a cool job. <laughs> like, just, this is the official, like, we, everyone knows how much a kilogram is or whatever, but, like, here's the official weight. This is the kilogram of the world. So, which would be heavier, a kilogram of chips or a kilogram of brooms? It's brooms. Because Brom is more But um, Sigil says, and can they all hold the same amount? We know that uncut gems hold less than cut ones. So is one that was cut better going to hold more? Plus stormlight fades from a sphere over time. How many days has it been since that chip was infused? And how much light has it lost since then? Do they all lose the same amount at the same rate? We know too little. I've wasted your time. Like, I related to this so hard where you're just like and this and this and this and this and this and i just wanted to be like oh you're so cool i love sigil this is my favorite chapter of his what did you call him sig sigil sigil okay i heard sigil like that would be on a oh banner or a shield and i was like nope but (laughs) i also really i also really like this because i feel like i love the the frustration of I want to do something, but I don't have the right tools. Mm-hmm. I don't have, like, the specifics. Uh, and this is just a fun... Listen, all the Bridgemen are great. Especially Moash. Um, but this was just a fun collection of personalities to do this group project <laughs> together. Because they keep throwing out stuff like, Ooh, can you do this? Ooh, try this. And, and it has had to be a secret for so long. And now it doesn't have to be mm-hmm. a secret anymore. And it's just really fun. I wish I had Stormlight. This is fun. I love this. <laughs> um, and so they're like, okay, if we can't do little tiny experiments, then we're gonna we're gonna test its efficacy in you know a combat situation. So he has the three men. They all attack him. And so Khaled is like, I'm gonna practice Stormlight enhanced combat. And my highlight of this. <laughs> Is when Rock picks up an entire log to hit Kaladin with. Like, he is not, he is not holding back. And Emily, how does Kaladin escape the log? Um, He pins it to the ground. He, He sucks it to the ground and sticks it to the ground, right? Okay, well, first, Kaladin dodges it the first time. And then he jumps on top of the log as Rock is trying to swing it again. that's right. And he's so surprised because I didn't quite pick this up on earlier, in earlier things, but now the pieces are falling together. Rock is in the bridge crew, but he's not a fighter because in the birth order, whatever birth order he is, um, he was... He's not supposed to fight. He's not supposed to be a soldier. But Mm -hmm. Kaladin can see skills in him. Like, he knows how to shoot a bow. He knows how to wrestle. And so he's he's like, we'll we'll talk about this later, but I really liked that he's being attacked by three different people with three different skill sets because I feel like the Parshendi all have one very specific skill set 
And mm-hmm. and this is just really making Kaladin like stretch and figure stuff out. Yeah, <laughs> I love. Um, so maybe we, we let's jump into the the suns and rock and stuff and everything because he uh, Kaladin brings up again that you're a warrior. Like say whatever you want, but you are a warrior. He has a warrior I, heart, soul. Maybe he doesn't because he doesn't want to fight. But he's. So he has a warrior's form, but perhaps not a warrior's heart. I don't know. But, um, I am wrong, son, to be soldier, Rock said stubbornly. It is a thing of the Tawana Lakita, the fourth son or below. Third son cannot be wasted in battle. Didn't stop you from throwing a tree at my head. Was small tree, Rock said, and very hard head. (laughs) Okay, so I had a, a thought process, but I didn't write it down exactly, so I hope I can remember it. But um, I, because I read this with the reading that maybe that was something Rock wanted to do, even though it wasn't his, mm. you know, it wasn't his calling or whatever. Kind of like Ooh. Kaladin was supposed to be a doctor, but he studied the spear, even though he wasn't supposed to. I love that reading. Thank you. Um and I just found it interesting because, all right, let me get my thoughts together. Now that I just said something super brilliant, I don't know if I can follow it up with anything more brilliant. <laughs> um, so we've got Rock, who is being something because that's the way of his culture. And you compare that with my other favorite character, Seth who is a specific way because of his culture. I'm assuming it's his culture or his calling or whatever. Uh-huh. That was kind of my thought. Just Rock versus Seth and how similar yeah. it seems that their storylines are. Maybe not like 100% similar, but just the interesting idea of you can be assigned to do something, but unless you find like purpose in it, can you really mm-hmm. be good at it? Yes. Uh, and as someone who was assigned to be something, Kaladin's like birth, his family life, his upbringing was all about being a surgeon. But he found his passion. Like he's talented at everything. Protagonist disease. <laughs> um, but his passion lay in warfare. Like when he touched a spear, that is so different from when he held a scalpel. Yeah. Um, and it might have been an easier switch for Kaladin to make because luckily for him, I guess, I mean, he's in a society where everyone is encouraged to be a soldier. Mm -hmm. All the boys are encouraged to be soldiers. So, hey, Emily, that's a pretty cool set of parallels that you've discovered where Mm -hmm. Seth is what his culture made him, even though it hurts him. And Rock maybe wanted to be something different but is still fulfilling the role his culture gave him mm-hmm. um i hope this doesn't take us on too much of a tangent if it does rein me back in but it's our podcast <laughs> we can talk about whatever you want i would talk about a house episode here for a second okay <laughs> i don't know what season i don't know what episode i don't know anything like that but it is the story of the patient of the week is this woman who is at a cooking school or something and is learning this new skill. Almost it seems like it's for beginners sort of a thing. She gets really, really sick. They take her to the hospital. Turns out she's one of like the most brilliant doctors ever to live at this point in time. But 
after she studied for years and years and years and was like a practicing doctor and everything um she just decided like it wasn't for her it didn't bring her passion it didn't bring her joy and at one i don't remember very much about the episode but i do remember at one point i think it was chase that was talking to her and was like you are probably the one who could cure cancer don't you have an obligation to do that and she's like no i don't i do not have an obligation to do this and that bothered me the first time I saw it. I'm like, yeah, your obligation is to help other people. If you're this smart, you have to do it. But now having been in therapy myself, um, <laughs> sometimes what's the most important is what makes you happy and what brings you joy and fulfillment. You, just you alone. So my, I'm going to preface this with my parents support my career and they know it's what makes me happy. But every time I make a pun, my mom says, you should go into advertising. (laughs) I'm like, I don't want to go into advertising, mom. I want to tell longer stories than ad campaigns do and different kinds of stories. And it's so funny that I'm like, I can make puns working in animation. I don't have to just have a job making puns. Um, Even though you would kill it. I would, I would be very funny. Uh, I wouldn't even have to plan it. I could just be funny. <laughs> it is, I'm trying to think of a word that's not privilege, um, but that it's not something everyone can do to just chase their dream yeah. instead of, you know, like in your version of Rock's backstory, they needed him to be a cook. Mm-hmm. So maybe your your rock backstory, he really wanted to be a soldier, but he decided to be a cook instead, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of the opposite of what Kaladin did. Like, we need surgeons. Soldiers outnumber surgeons by a huge deal. But when Tien got chosen to go to war, Kaladin's like, I need to be a soldier so I could protect my brother. Mm-hmm. How'd that turn out for okay, you, Okay, we don't have to go there today. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, sorry. I'm just so excited for uh, the end of this chapter because <gasps> in our first book, when it's like mentioned that Amaram's on his way to the Shattered Plains, Emily, you freaked out. I did. You were so mad. And then even in this book, where Dalinar's like, an old friend is on his way here. And you were like, is it Amaram? <laughs> and I had to be like, what? No, Amaram is Sadius's friend. Remember? <laughs> Uh, I don't know if y'all have listened to our coverage of Our Flag Means Death, but Emily is learning that I cannot be trusted. She cannot, absolutely not, ever, never trust this woman. Ever. Which of my jokes are spoilers and which of my jokes are just mean? We'll never find out. (laughs) But anyway, um, we have a conversation with Teft after the, the training wraps up. And Emily, why did Kaladin decide to have the new recruits from the other bridges trained down in the chasms. Uh, Tep says... Hold on. Well, Tep says it, like, helped break them out of their shell. I don't... I think I missed the part where Kaladin says why he brought them down there. I'm so sorry. It's all right. Teft is the one that says, I don't know if the lads told you, Kaladin, but bringing the lot down here broke them out of their shells somehow. 
How did you get to know people so well? It involves a lot of cutting them apart. Oh my gosh, so dramatic. So like, dramatic, sir. <laughs> this, is, this is like back in book one when they find the spheres that they're scavenging in the chasms and they're like, oh, I've never seen this much money in my life. And Kaladin just goes, I once held a goblet of a hundred diamond spheres and was told that they were mine. And everyone's like, excuse me? <laughs> and then he just doesn't elaborate. So this is the more thing is again, but um, I think Kaladin ruminates on it a little further down, like a, a little farther in the chapter. Um, but that these people saw Bridge Four go through a remarkable change back when they were all bridgemen, and by inviting them down into the chasm, which was like Bridge Four's territory, their location, Kaladin is extending the the arm of bridge four to all of these new recruits yeah it's like they 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 go down into the chasm as who they were before and come out a part of officially bridge four even though bridge Mm -hmm. four no longer exists bridge four is a place in your heart sort of a thing (laughs) yeah so right now um the people that they're training is just one or you know, one or maybe two representatives from each of the other bridges mm-hmm. that are going to be sergeants alongside people who have showed promise in the other training. And Kaladin's like, we're going to have to bring more down here. We're going to have to do all of this. Um, but what's nice is Kaladin is... So the end of book one in Way of Kings, this was Kaladin turning back from the honor chasm. And Kaladin's own mood and attitude had turned around. But here at the end of book one in Words of Radiance, it's very much like, hey, we're all safe. We're all happy. There's a ton of resources. And it ends on a real high note mm-hmm. for Kaladin in the present. Even though in the past, um, his final flashback in part one is like a bit of a downer. <laughs> um, but it's just, it's, it's, it's not, it's just nice <laughs> but uh teft and kaladin have a little more talk about what teft knows about the radiance which isn't much uh he kind of goes a little bit more into his background about how he doesn't really know but this is what he does know and kaladin kind of gets the idea that the people who did know are no longer around and he kind of thinks it's because something teft did and it's very mm-hmm. like kind of like walking on eggshells at this point like Tef doesn't want to talk about it but about what happened but he's just like kind of giving Kaladin yeah. background of like this is why I don't know everything yeah hey Emily how many orders of Knights There's Radiant ten. were there? There's ten. Good job. Thank you. Good job. <laughs> and so Kaladin knows that he's only one type of ten Radiant so he's asking Tef what do you know about the other orders and all Tef knows is not all ten orders got along with each other and then Kaladin uh, asks, what would you think if you heard somebody wanted to refound the Knights Radiant? And Teft is like, are you good? He's like, not me. Not me. <laughs> Dalinar wants to refound the Knights Radiant. But he doesn't say Dalinar because he's very, I don't think he says Dalinar, even though it is Dalinar. Oh, right, it. right. He just says not me, but he's thinking about Dalinar. Yeah, because he's just like, okay, I heard this like in a very unofficial capacity, but a very official capacity, but I'm really not supposed to say anything. But in the back of his mind, he's just like, Dalinar's a light eyes. He wouldn't think twice about spilling your secret, but he's still like, okay, I have to be like uh, professional about this too. Yeah. But Teth brings up... Kaladin signed an NDA. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, 
I really appreciated Brandon doing this. Is he because we're me as a reader? I'm just like, yes, bring back the radiance. This will be great. And oh, hi, Copper Dog. Um, but Teft brings up very much the idea of well, Teft and Kaladin bring up the idea that people see the radiance as traitors. People think that the radiance let everyone down. And so the idea that you're going to bring back this traitorous bunch is not going to go over well with the people of Alethkar. Okay, question. The Radiance were all over all of Roshar. Like, does everyone know about the Radiance? Or is this strictly a Vorin Alethi thing? Okay, I'm going to rafo you on that okay. one. But because it's been a long time since the Radiance were here in whatever capacity they were here. Mm-hmm. But... This is what the Voran religion and the Alethi believe about the Radiance. Okay, got it. And got so it. we'll, we, we haven't got to, you know, we've, my brain is racing ahead of my <laughs> mouth so fast tonight. I'm sure in the edit, Emily will cut down a lot of my nonsensical, no proper noun ramblings. <laughs> let me, let me concentrate on this. I am certain No. (laughs) Always. We have not yet. (laughs) We have seen a couple other places in the interludes, but we haven't learned what other countries or religions think about the Radiance yet. Okay. Okay, cool. That is good enough for me. Speaking of Radiance, Emily, do you think you could possibly guess which of the Heralds is overseeing this chapter? Oh, Okay, this is going to be on the... Overseeing is a strong word. I'm so sorry. But what Harold was chosen on the chapter heading? Oh, listen, I remember we talked about this in the last episode, but that was several months ago. I don't remember all of the Heralds. That's all right. But it's a dude with a crown. It's a dude with a crown. He's got a crown. And a beard. Yep, he does. So Emily... I'm going to give you a hint and see if you pick it up. He's got a crown in this depiction. He's the dude who was the leader of the Heralds. Oh. Do you remember who that was? Yeah. Yezrin. No. Yeah. Yeah. It, yes. Yezrin. Yezrin. Okay. Hey, look at me. <laughs> Emily, you did I it. Did so, uh, Yezrin, leader of the Heralds, is over this chapter, and I uh, would... Would you like to guess why I think that is? Or would you like to guess for yourself why you think it I is? I will guess why I think it is, but then I need you to explain why you think. I think it's because that is who Kaladin is going to be under. And also Kaladin is like the leader of this group. And they call him Stormblessed. Doesn't, isn't Yezrian also known as the Stormfather? Oh hey. oh, hey, that is one of Yezrian's names. So, yes, I agree with you. I feel that the reason why Yezrian is over this chapter, because he was the the leader of the Heralds before, and it's because of the talk in this chapter surrounding um, the refounding of the Knights Radiant, and also, he was the patron herald for the Windrunners. And in this chapter, Kaladin is, like, discovering and experimenting with his Windrunner power. So cool. So cool. His power! <laughs> um, and they're, even though they're doing this experimentation in fun and, like, 
you know, it's a good time. They still don't want people to know what he's doing. So they're down in the chasms. All the recruits are down in the chasms. But these men are off to the side doing their own thing. And um, Kaladin at one point made a really interesting comment that because Sigzil is making notes and how uncomfortable that would make most Alethes. But here mm-hmm. it's it's a group of, it's, it's Kaladin, who's not super upset by it because his dad also knew glyphs and stuff like that. You've got Sigzil, mm-hmm. who knows how to at least write glyphs. You've got Rock, who's a completely different culture. And you have Lopin, who also doesn't care. Like, you have these four men from very different cultures. I just like that, that they pointed that out. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know where I was going with that thought. They were separated. Well... It's that bridge four, they're all outsiders, but they found each other. Mm-hmm. They're a found, found family. family. Uh, they're family four. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they don't want people to know what's going on just because, again, people might be upset that they're like, oh, yes, we're bringing back the Night's Radiant. As they leave the chasm, Kaladin's just thinking how weird it is because he's coming out with, like, weapons in full view spheres in full view and how completely opposite this was from their position a few weeks or even months ago just i mean they would have Mm -hmm. been killed had they brought out any spheres that they collected off the bodies like this is just a very different sort of set of circumstances and i really hope we find out what happened to the bright lord and brightest lady who were in charge of bridge four like I'm, I I want to know if we see them again. The one who decided, like, oh, you're going to have the same job the whole time. Do you remember who they were? Matal and... Oh, yeah. Bright Lord, Bright Lady, Mich- I don't know. But they, they took the place of the dude who got executed of Lamoreau mm-hmm. after. Yeah. Like, I don't know. My guess, my guess is... Well, no. I can't guess. I know stuff. <laughs> Emily, what's your guess... Do you think Sadius was in a really good mood when he got back to his war camp at the end of the last book? I would not be surprised if Matal had been executed. I don't know if Sadius executes women, but I wouldn't have been surprised if that had also happened. Like, But he also got a shard blade out of it, so could he be that upset about it? Maybe? I don't know. We'll have to see. Anyways, they're leaving the, the chasms and... <laughs> There's soldiers up there, and they give Kaladin, like, Kaladin's like, that is the crispest salute I've ever seen. It's not just, like, a half, you know, mocking salute. It's like, if there was a general, and he would have got that sort of salute. And so his, I'm not going to say fame, but he's known around the camps. Kaladin's totally known. But uh, Stormblessed, one of them called, have you heard the news? And then Kaladin's just like, (laughs) curse the one who told them that nickname. (laughs) Sorry, I'm laughing about the news because I'm sadistic. (laughs) So, So everyone is super excited because there is a hero that has arrived to the Shattered Plains. And, a hero and he's like he's going to meet with bright lord colin perhaps support him it's a good sign might help calm things down around here what's this rock called back who the soldier said a name kaladin's heart became ice <gasps> okay okay emily 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 yes yes 
what did you think was happening at this point? I know you read things to find stuff out and you probably read the rest of the chapter in like 0.2 seconds, but <laughs> I when knew this was, was happening, what I you knew? It was you knew? Because things had been going too well. At first I'm like, maybe it's <laughs> Rashawn, but I'm just like, no, 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 no. That wouldn't have even, like, I think that would have given Kaladin a reaction still, but I think this one is a much more yeah. intense reaction because hashtag this time it's personal yes like Kaladin like runs like he just takes off running and he has he's like I've got to find out he doesn't want to believe it I mean okay so here's the thing it is Amaram we'll, we'll, get, it to is Amaram. we'll get to that point but... we've talked about it I don't I I think our audience knows <laughs> um, but he's like he's like running like the hellhounds are after him and people are like are you okay what's going on and he just like he he shows up and he watches amram and dalinar interacting with each other and ooh bleepity bleep amram is like oh yes did you see my shard blade i i took it off an assassin who tried to kill me and he's showing it off and dalinar's like Whoa, that's pretty cool. <laughs> I Listeners, was livid. I am Listeners. livid. Also, Emily, you guys should know. I'm so glad I looked down at this page and reread it because I almost super spoiled something else that happens. Because I'm like, oh, yeah, this is the scene where such and such is announced. And I was like, oh, no, it's not. <laughs> this is just bad enough as it is. As it is. But, Emily, spoilers, it, it, things are going to get worse for Kaladin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, because here's the thing. Oh, I'm so great. Because, like, yes, Dalinar trusts Kaladin. But Kaladin is, mm-hmm. and I'm heavily using air quotes, he is mm-hmm. just a dark eyes. Uh-huh. I'm heavily, heavy air quotes on that, okay? Uh-huh. Um, yep. And if, and here's the thing. Okay, yes, Dalinar gave up his shard blade because he has honor so he could get all the bridge crew because he was so grateful for what had happened. Uh-huh. But he's still missing thousands and thousands of men. Like, he's been uh-huh. greatly weakened. And to have someone like Amaram come and potentially throw their support behind Dalinar could really sway actually like the political climate and the future of Alethkar. Who is Dalinar going to ally with? This lowly, dark-eyed bridge captain or this man with all this or, power and prestige and honor. and honor. But I can't help but wonder, like, my my hope is once Dalinar hears the story of what happened, he will immediately believe Kaladin. But I can't imagine that's what's going to happen. Like, oh, do you not have a very good imagination? <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. That was a bit. That was a bit. Calling back to something from book one. I love my... She has a great imagination. She just finished a 50,000 word fan fiction. It takes a lot of imagination to do that. <laughs> I'm so That's sorry. one of my favorite quotes that come out of our whole podcast. <laughs> Oh, so I, okay, you guys remember I was completely robbed of justice in Mm -hmm. Way of Kings with Sadius and Dalinar. If I get robbed Mm -hmm. of justice, 
in Words of Radiance for Amaram, I will be very mad. So I want to talk about justice a bit because, yes, Sadius walked away with his life, but he lost all of his bridgemen. He lost his advantage. And uh, I think having Sadius live with the knowledge that Dalinar bested him, that is more painful for Sadius than dying. Okay. I would think. I agree with that. I can't imagine that Sadius is not just going to turn right back around and buy more bridge crew. Mm-hmm. That's just what I think. And here's the thing. Like, I'm worried that people are going to, what is the phrase? Where you're just like, yeah, he did this, but this. What's what's the, What's that word? Say it again. Where When they're like, well, someone did this and it was really bad. Yeah, but he also did this, and it was really good. Like, justify, maybe? Maybe that's the word I'm looking oh, for. Oh, uh, like, excuse? Oh, no, listeners, welcome to another. <laughs> it's more like, like, they accept the good with the bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because if Kaladin says, this man killed my entire team in order to keep the truth from getting out. Like, Kaladin's the last remaining survivor, I believe, except for um, Amram's honor guard. I'm hoping there's an honor guard who's going to come over and, like, corroborate Kaladin's story. But I, I would just think that Dalinar, who is such a man of honor, to hear how this man got his shard blade... I mean, one, I would hope he'd be like, I don't want to ally with you. But two, he can't let this guy ally with anyone else because it will weaken Dalinar's position and just make life so much more miserable. But three, you really want a leader who's willing to sacrifice that many people for what he wants. But four, having a leader with a shard blade is a huge advantage. Like, it's just this back and forth and back and forth. And I think Brandon Sanderson has done a great job of getting us here. Like, like there's so many extenuating circumstances of like, but what about this? But what about this? But what about this? And oh, I'm so excited to keep reading about this. Because like the nation of Alucard, I think they mentioned it, their whole country, there's only like 25 shard blades total, Mm -hmm. somewhere around that number. And if you remember in book one, the scene where (laughs) that was the end of, that was the flashback at the end of part one, was Amaram killing Kaladin's men and taking the blade. (laughs) (laughs) Right? I I don't, yeah. I don't have the book with me. Yeah, yes. Kaladin lost all of his old team, but at the end of part one, Kaladin started to regain his new team. Even, I'm pretty sure that's what happened. Even Dalit, who's apparently super tall. <laughs> oh, oh, Megan, no, Megan. No, Dalit died. Dalit died on the battlefield. <laughs> okay. uh, the the oncoming shard bearer killed him. Anyway, sorry. What? I have got to find it. Hold on. It made me laugh. Oh my gosh, this might take a minute. I'm so sorry. They talk about Kaladin to Kaladin's uh, height, but they don't. They don't give the Hold on. I gotta find it. Okay, here we go. So this is after they've fought. And uh, that was embarrassing, Sigzel said, as Kaladin walked over to free him too. It's like we're children. The Prime's own eyes have not seen such a shameful show. I have a very unfair advantage, Kaladin said, helping Sigzel to his feet. Years of training as a soldier, a larger build than you. He's giant. Well, gianter than Sigzel... 
But we don't know how big Sigzil yep. is. Sigzil could be four foot ten. Okay, so now Emily, <laughs> we're starting to get a height chart in our mind. This is like one of those logic puzzles of like if such and so leaves their house at three every day, but this person leaves at this. Yeah, you know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about. This sort of word thing. So we know that Kaladin is taller than even Dalit. <laughs> And now that we know for sure he's taller than six, so Emily, keep an eye out. We'll be able to rank every character by height by the time we get to book 10. Oh, I love that. But yeah. Um, oh. But yeah, High Lord Amram is here. He's back. I'm so excited to get to the next Galadin chapter. What's going to happen? Every party has a pooper. That's why we invited you. <laughs> Like, he, this man, I think, has told this story so many times about, like, oh, there was an assassin. I'm sure it has just snowballed into, like, Amaram not even needing his honor guards and being able to do everything himself. Like, he just seems to be the sort of guy who's really, like, I'm very important. And this, this, his shard blade is proof of his importance. And Mm -hmm. I think he will fight tooth and nail to keep it. But I almost wonder if he allies with Dalinar, if Dalinar is going to insist that he give it to Kaladin. But I can't imagine that Amaran would agree to that and he would just go somewhere else to someone who wouldn't make him give up his shard blade that he won fair and square. Do you remember um, Amaram's reasoning as to why he should have kept the shard blade? Is it because he was a light eyes or because he was a high Not exactly. He said that he was trained to use one and as a tool it would be more useful in his hands than it would to take the time to train Kaladin. Mm-hmm. We talked about this in the last book when we were mentioning that Sadius valued his bridgemen just for what they could give him right now and that once he invested time and training into them even though they could become exceptional as proven by Kaladin's efforts that that's not what he needed. He needed people who were untrained to just like throw into the jaws of war. Yeah. And Amaram was like, okay, we need someone who can fight now. And that's me. And therefore I should get the blade. Wasn't he also afraid that Kaladin would take it from him later? Well, yeah. He's like, oh, you'll change your mind mm-hmm. and come back for mm-hmm. it. I don't know that Kaladin would have because like Kaladin with a spear in his hand, I think is more dangerous than a shard blade bearer well yeah because he killed a full shard bearer in shard plate kaladin killed him with like a knife to the eye yeah yeah <laughs> yeah he should have amram should have made him an honor guard or something but no he had to make it yeah, for no. life it was do you remember when we compared it to the lesson yes yeah um and that Yasna was right in killing all of those men because of the potential of what they could have done. Logically, that should apply to Amaran was right to kill all those men because of the logic of what they could have done. Yes, it does. Do you know what? <laughs> Do you know what? We need to remember in situations like this, it's about journey before no! destination. <laughs> Let's get into these interludes. We forgot to announce the Stormlight news today. Oh, yeah. Emily, what happened today? Uh, Dragon Steel, is that the name of Brandon's company, I guess? Yeah. Announced that they are releasing two puzzles. You can buy a puzzle. One is a map of Roshar. It's a thousand pieces. 
And the second is the first Words of Radiance. It's like a stained glass design, 500 pieces. And I was like, ugh, Meg, is it going to say Journey Before Destination? And she goes, dot, dot, dot. That's literally the first Words of Radiance. And I was like, ugh. Well, well yeah, because the puzzle, the puzzle is called The First Ideal. <clears throat> And I told Emily that. I'm like, oh, it's a puzzle of the first ideal. And it's a stained glass window. And she goes, well, let's say journey before destination. And I'm like, yes. Literally, yes. That's the first ideal. <laughs> oh, man. Ooh, it's, it's just, oh, I'm so excited. So remember how much we had to read of Way of Kings in order to get to the story Mm-hmm. There was so much setup there, which it needed. I'm I'm not saying that it was boring by any stretch of the imagination. I love that we're able. Like there still is so much info dumping here, but we're so much more familiar yeah. with the world that, like when Yasna is explaining like all the different sprint and everything to Shalon and everything. Like we're I think a little more willing to sit through like a more scientific lecture about it than we I would have been in book one, and so. I like that we just get into the story, getting into the good stuff. I know. And and so we're at the end of part one, where in part one of book one, it was just Shalon successfully became Yasna's student and Kaladin decided to turn back from the honor chasm and try again. So they both ended on a huge positive potential. Mm-hmm. But now at book one of part two, um, Shalon has lost Yasna. <laughs> At sea, R.I.P. And For now. Kaladin, she's gone, all right? She I is no longer she... on this earth. She is dead. Okay. Um, and, oh, you made me lose my train of thought. And Kaladin is now ending at a really negative place because his Amaranth enemy is back. Anyway, let's dive into these let's interludes, into Emily. The interludes. Let's do it. Hey, who are the point of view characters of the interlude? So we read interlude one and interlude two. Interlude one is by a person called Eshenai. Mm-hmm. And she, thank you very much. Mm-hmm. I'm so excited about this, is a person. <laughs> I was, again, yelling when I got to this start. I was like, yes! Emily, do you remember where we've heard the word Eshenai before? I do not. I'm so sorry. So in book one, there was a chapter, there was a chapter titled Eshenai, and it was a battle out on the plains, and it was the first time Dalinar saw the Parshendi had a shard bearer. And it was her. And it was oh. her. They, uh, Brandon gave us her name, but no other info. Oh, and know. so now I'm going to tell you that at the when we finished our coverage of book one, I told you that hey, there were a couple things named in here. We don't find out what they are until book two. Eshenai is specifically who I was referencing. So, Emily, we start to learn about the Parshendi and their culture like, and what their day to day lives depth. are like. It's so cool. So the cool guys, I'm gonna geek out about this. It was so cool. Remember how I just said like, oh, we have so much information and so much word dumping, but like I couldn't I couldn't absorb it all. It was it was just happening so fast. But like, ooh, it's I mean, I'm I'm sure everyone here who's listening has read it, but ooh, 
Um, so we find out that the Parshendi can, I'm going to call it shape shifting, but it's like form shifting. And their mm-hmm. forms, whatever form you're in, you basically are like more attuned to it. So like if you're in like a warrior form, and Megan, you can correct me in my phrasing when I'm wrong. There's like warrior form and there's like, they're trying to unlock the artist form throughout this because they were saying there's, there's the, is it slave form or the dull form? What is it? Yeah. There's a dull form is something that they mentioned, which is the parchment that are over in Alethkar. Uh-huh. So, like, I was... Okay, so I was wondering... Oh, go ahead. You forgot the sexy times mate form. How could I you... I was getting to it. I didn't forget. I'm sorry. Sorry. I'm just excited because I personally am built like a Parshendi <laughs> mate form. And I'm like, yes, I am the most sexy being in <laughs> in the Stormlight Archive is me. <laughs> Um, and this, knowing this, that they can shape shift because, um, I, I don't think I ever said it on the podcasts. Um, but I was wondering, like, because they, they find the carapace bodies that grow the armor or whatever. It doesn't mean that Mm -hmm. there's different sex of the, I mean, S E C T S of the Parshendi. They can shape shift into warriors with the carapaces and everything, or they can, you know, turn into something else. So this is very problematic because it means that all the parchment have the ability to suddenly shape shift into the warrior form and decimate everybody. Not good. Emily, yes. Uh, is it mentioned in this interlude how you change forms? I. Ooh, well, Rafo. Okay, Rafo. I'm glad I didn't miss it. <laughs> I have something that will maybe excite you and maybe break your heart. No. Can you only turn so into something book- once? Oh no, this is this is unrelated. Oh, okay. So, in every interlude in book one, we got Seth chapters. You did tell me this. And in book two, instead, we will have Eshenai in ev- at least once in every interlude. So when does Seth come back? Maybe never. No! Stop it. it you know what? No. Megan. <laughs> no. Megan, I no. Mean, no. I mean, yes. Megan, no! I don't know. Do you know what? I know how you can find out, though. I keep reading. Yeah, you can read and find out. You could rafle. Uh, um, one of the things they're trying to, they're trying to learn, because apparently there used to be, I'm guessing, hundreds of different forms. Like, they could become almost any type of person or crafter or whatever. And uh, Eshenai's sister, Venli, they're sisters, right? Uh-huh. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. Is talking about sisters. storm form. And mm. that if there's enough people, if enough of them change into the storm form and figure out how to do it, they can control and or summon a high storm. <laughs> Which would be real bad news for everybody. That would wreck the storm warden's predictions, I bet. Yes. Emily... 
real fast, I want you to jump back to the epigraph to chapter 12. Oh, I skipped it. I'm, oh, no, I didn't skip it. I'm so sorry. You didn't skip okay. it. Uh, I would like you to read just the last sentence again. Oh, I would like to know what wind brought about their sudden inexplicable transformation. <gasps> oh, that's amazing. All right, I want to go through Narak this interlude a little more in order okay. because first, so I just had to get to the big, the big part. Yeah, give me the first sentence of the interlude. The rhythm of resolve thrummed softly in the back of Eshenai's mind as she reached the plateau at the center of the shattered plains. Throughout the chapter, it mentions her attuning to things mm-hmm. like. She spoke to resolve. She spoke in the rhythm of praise. He hummed softly to skepticism. Uh, Emily, can you tell me a little bit about your thoughts about this? What is it? What are they doing? I love this because we know they are a very musical, they are a very musical culture. And I have a friend who learned Mandarin to speak it fluently. And she was trying to explain to us the importance of different uh emphases on on tones it's a very tonal thing so like if if your word goes up at the end it means one word but if you say the same word but have a different tone that maybe goes down or does like a little warble or whatever they all mean completely different things and so i i got kind of this this feeling through this that um how cool of a language it is that something can be expressed you know you know like oh this sort of rhythm means this or this sort of rhythm means this and i was just like oh. i was also thinking of like harper hall and mccaffrey's books you know yeah I, and mm-hmm. how they they pass messages back and forth on the drums and things like that and i this just has so much cool potential but again i don't think someone could come in and learn the language very easily because it seems to be very like internally internalized um and mm-hmm. so I think someone coming in and maybe could understand like, oh, this is how you say the rhythm of mourning or this is how you sing this. I don't think they will get the full experience, though. Mm-hmm. So, Yasna mentions it in the huge info dump that she gives to Shalon. And I can't remember if it's in book one or, or at this beginning part in book two, but that you could have two Prashendi be on opposite sides of whatever camp that they're in. And one of them will be singing a song in a certain tempo and a certain rhythm. And the other one, definitely out of earshot, can be singing that same song in the correct tempo and in the correct rhythm. So I don't know if this is like something that just like runs through their head all day and they have to, like if they want to say something in like like a very sarcastic way or whatever, if they have to wait until like the ticker hits a specific spot where they can start singing Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. I don't know. So a lot of the other peoples that we've met on Roshar are human, right? Mm -hmm. They're just, they're human. They're from different countries. Um, Some of them have like very strange coloring, like the people with the blue skin or the crystal fingernails, but they're all human. And I think it's very clear the Parshendi are not human. And I'm going to drop something on you. From this point on, you and I are no longer going to call them the Parshendi. Because that is the human term for them. Do you remember what term Esh and I says that they call themselves? If you don't, it's okay. No, I don't. They are called the listeners. Okay. Oh, oh, okay. Hold on. I'm writing this down. The listeners. Mm-hmm. Because she taught. Okay, so I was proven incorrect in this chapter. 
on a mm-hmm. on a theory that I've had forever, and I thought someone had mm-hmm. bribed the listeners to kill mm-hmm. King Gavilar. But turns out they did it on purpose because of something he said or something he did. And hold on. They say something about the listeners. Let me. They did it to keep the the gods. Hold on. Instead, she and the others had ordered the murder of the Alethi king in a desperate gamble to stop the listener gods from returning. Well, that had worked. The Alethi king hadn't been able to put his plan into action, but now her people were slowly being destroyed as a result. But the thing that's interesting is the li- when it says listener gods, I would think it would be a capital L. It's not. It's all lowercase. Emily, <laughs> I was literally going to bring that up next. I am so excited. So there's a lot of subtle stuff that divides this culture from one from another, mm-hmm. and Here is my thought as to why. And it's that the human culture capitalizes proper nouns because we are primarily a written culture. But I feel that since the listeners are primarily a sung and spoken culture, that their language and literature are songs that were handed down. You don't capitalize things in a song. It's the tones you use or the rhythms you use that differentiate them. So they wouldn't, the word listener wouldn't be a proper capitalized noun because that doesn't mean anything in the way that they see themselves and the way that they communicate. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I was good eye, Emily. Thank you. But, but now I, I need to pull you back because you keep jumping so forward I'm so and I'm really I'm so glad you're so excited. I am. This Isn't this a, so cool? This a Doesn't this fabulous chapter? Emily, I know you don't have time to reread The Way of Kings, <laughs> but it I love the way that book one, we are learning about this enemy, and they're strange, and they're alien, and they grow and armor directly dangerous. on their bodies, and none of us know their language, and we can't communicate with them, and, and we're slowly finding out everything we thought that were wrong, and then at the end of the book, Yasna's like, no, they are the The demonic beings of legend they are the void bringers and so we've built like this huge strange ominous enemy and i love ash and i as a point of view character and i love seeing the war from their side and i'm going to say this also with very heavy air quotes this chapter Mm -hmm. humanizes them okay that's very heavy air quotes okay i get that but I love, I love when authors do this, when they give you mm-hmm. two very opposite sides and you're like, but I'm supposed to not like this one. But now I do like this one, you know? All right. So the chapter title of this interlude is called Narak. And the word Narak, she says, means exile. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is their home. And they live on a plateau near the center of the Shattered Plains. You know You'd ask me before... Yeah. Yeah, so like Dalinar's maps don't go out this far, but the Parshendi aren't camped out on the opposite side of the plains. They have gathered everyone to live in the center of the Shattered Plains. And I, okay, maybe I didn't read this well enough, but do they go down into the chasms and live in the chasms, or have they they built a city on top of one of the plateaus? 
right. or they live in the you ruins said... there's ruins on the plateau that's what it was yeah so you said build a city ruins of ruins the works of men and listeners alike did not last long before the might of the high storms so there's a stone spire that she's headed towards that had probably once been a tower over the centuries, it had grown a thick coating of creme from the raging storms. And then this eventually, like, just fills this up and it becomes, uh, you know, another landmass. Like, the, the hoodoos. Imagine Bryce Canyon, mm-hmm. you know, like those rock formations and stuff. Yeah. Um, and so everything here is ruins. So, Emily, who or what? lived here i think this is the sacred city that yasna was trying to find do you remember the name i want to say upendi but that's lion king too <laughs> <laughs> that is lion king too the the u sound is correct urethiru um i think that's what it is i think they are living in the ruins of it so the listeners have built the rest of their city like among these ruins using you know great shells and you know, just other other materials that they have. Yeah. Oh, and they, they and come back. Sorry, they're coming back from. I'm going to say a raid. That's not really what it was, but they found mm-hmm. a great shell and got its gem heart. And they're like, great, now we can keep eating. So, if it's an emerald, does that mean that they have soul casters who use it to create food? That is a very good theory. If they didn't have soul casters, give me... Okay, I want you to, to use that really good, amazing <laughs> imagination that you have. <laughs> Theory one, soul casters. I want you to give me two alternate theories. Uh, there are merchants that they use the currency for. They chop up the gems and use them as currency. Or they actually eat gems. And that's how they okay. live. This is cool. Listen to that. Um... Emily, why do they call this place Exile? Uh, it says they named it Narak, Exile, for it was where they had come to be separated from their gods. So I don't know if this is like a sacred site for them, or if this is like we live here to remember what happened, or I don't, or if this is just we just happen to live here, like we happen to live next to Ohio or whatever, and Ohio is where something happened, you know, I don't know. Now... The reason they killed Gavilar, we mentioned before, is they wanted to stop the gods from returning. So maybe this so, is a victory thing of, like, this is a, a place that we, like, overcame our oppressor sort of a thing. Yeah, or escaped they, from our oppressor or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Hey, these gods don't sound very they nice. They do not. Uh, we mentioned a bit before about the soldiers in war form trying to do art and this this is so this is like the exact opposite of shallan to me (laughs) who like art is so easy she does it unconsciously without even thinking and these you know listeners in war form are like really struggling And so Eshenai is kind of like, oh, good job. Like, it looks like art. Actually, it looks like art. <laughs> the uh, And the, the listener, his name is Varanis. He says, it looks like muddy water on a brown plateau, he said. Maybe with some brown leaves floating in it. 
Why do colors turn brown when they mix? Three beautiful colors put together and they become the least beautiful color. It makes no sense, General. Emily, I feel like I've ranted to you about this before. Do you remember what we've talked about? In general? Okay. In life? In art. In, in art. Like the, the difference between um, digital art and physical paint art. I don't think we did. Okay. The more wavelengths of light you mix together. So if you mix together red light, yellow light, and blue light, if you mix three colored lights together, what color of light do you White. get? And if you mix red paint, green paint, and blue paint together, like he's doing, when you mix them together, you get brown. So <laughs> this is such a cool. This is such a cool thing. The more colors of light you mix together, the closer you come to pure white light. So, and then the more different colors of paint you get, the more it comes to black because oh, <laughs> we see color. Listen, I love this. We see an item has color. Because it absorbs all the wavelengths of light and whatever it can't absorb, it bounces off. So there's a red dress behind me that's absorbing every single color besides red and it's only bouncing the red back to me. So by mixing together red and yellow and blue and purple, by mixing together all these different colored paints, it now absorbs more and more light and doesn't bounce it back to you because now it's absorbing more and more colors and it's holding the light instead of reflecting it. And so these are one of the things with um, digital painting is you can mix a very, very vivid, like bright turquoise and on your screen, it will look bright and it will look great because layering these colors together makes it brighter. But when you try and print it on paper, it will look dull and it will look strange because it has to mix together the blue and the yellow ink in order to print that turquoise, but it doesn't have the additive quality of light on it. <laughs> That's so, oh. Science. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for coming with me on this science tangent. You're welcome. But anyway, um, Varanis, call me. <laughs> I'm in mate form all the time, and we could talk. We this could talk through. shop. <laughs> Venley actually mentions. Sorry. Eshenai actually mentions as she's thinking about humans and considering humans that, like, Humans are in mate form all the time. Like, they're always worrying about the extra feelings that come with it. And how do they even focus enough to do anything? Which, like, cracks me up a bit. So, the forms that they know is war form, work form, mate form, nimble form, and dull form. And she mentions that the parchment are in something called slave form. And Emily, I want you to read the sentence where she talks about slave forms. So the old song spoke of hundreds of forms. Now they knew of only five. Okay. Please read the next. It says, well, six, if one counted slave form, the form with no spren, no soul, and no song. The form the humans were accustomed to, the one they called parchment. It wasn't really a form at all, however, but a lack of any form. Now... I'm going to say some stuff that sounds like I'm signifying something huge and big. I'm just trying to make a, a parallel connection. What does a human need to become a radiant? The words and a spread. And what are 
the slave form parshmen missing. Spren. Which would indicate that any, uh, any listener who is not in slave form will have a... Spren. Ah! <laughs> How are the spren and the listeners connected? Write it down in your notebook. We'll see if we can rafo right. it. Um, so Eshenai is in war form, which means she's grown her own plate. But she also, uh, she also is wearing shard plate on top of it. She's got double armor. All right, I'm gonna give you another hint about listeners and how they work so she passes the fountain with the the mate forms like messing around in it in the and it mentions water. that yeah okay so what do humans really like our drinking water to be clean instead she says it caught rain during the riddance of a storm thick with nourishment it's full of creme they like water oh. full of the dirt and mud that comes down in a in a high okay. storm so there you go. That's really cool. Anyway, uh, Esh and I mentions that she was their last shard bearer. So there have potentially been other shard bearers among the listeners. But I'm wondering if the Alethi eventually killed them and took their shard plate. Like that's part of the that's part of the thing is if you defeat a shard bearer, you get the plate and the sword. And so I'm wondering mm-hmm. if, mm-hmm. and and she she goes on to say something along the lines of like we did this, we killed the king to save our people, but now it doesn't even matter. Like it's still, we're still dying, and and this yeah. big risk that they took isn't working out, and they don't really know what they're going to do. Yeah, so uh, she is scolding the mate forms who are playing and having fun. And the work work forms nearby are appreciative of this because they don't like confrontation. So we mentioned earlier that the forms not only change your physical structure, but they change some of your likes and dislikes and proclivities. Not that it, I don't think it completely changes who you are deeply as a person, mm-hmm. but... Uh, different forms basically it boosts your different personality stats mm-hmm. right yeah yeah and and so it's like they can all multi-class in D. uh well anyway as she's reprimanding these mate forms she's speaking so passionately that she attracts anger spren now emily let's say previously in the book how do the glory spren appear when elokar is like Drawing glory spread after the chasm fiend hunt. Like they just kind of appear. They just kind of appear around yeah. his head. What about when uh, Seth is coming after in the very, very first uh, prologue? Uh, how do the fear spread appear around the men? I think they like come up out of the ground or appear mm-hmm. out of the so, wood yeah. or something. Yeah. So whenever we've seen spread, they just appear around the vicinity of the person with the emotion that's experiencing because spren do not cause emotion they are drawn to it and so i'm going to read a sentence (laughs) i find very interesting her words so passionate she actually attracted anger spren she saw them coming from a ways off drawn by her emotion moving 
with incredible speed, the lightning dancing towards her across the distant stone. The lightning pooled at her feet, turning the stones red. She can see the spren coming wherever they are. And she can Not see them coming. Oh. Not just when they appear. Emily. Does that sound like anything else we've talked about today? <laughs> Does it? Oh, um, Brock can see spread no matter if they're manifesting or not. Yeah. Uh-huh. So are they related? Are they? Is it like is it like in Warbreaker where the two people split off and like there's a group up in the mountains and then there's a group in the valley and are they cousins? Are they? they might be. <laughs> they might be. <laughs> Emily, just this okay, so like you probably read through this interlude pretty quickly yeah. because it's only, you know, 10, 15 pages. There is so much in this interlude in just like this one little glimpse into the listener town from just Esh and I basically doing her little town. It's a quiet <laughs> village. We are getting so much information about the listeners and how the world works and like how they see it. And I just, it's so cool. I love it so much. And we are finally... Uh, we make it to the Shattered Plains! Uh, and I find it interesting because um, as she's walking around and looking at all of this and like talking about the culture they have now and how she's a warrior and she's the last shard bearer and everything like that, we are also told, I mean, she doesn't say it out loud, but we, we also can see that she actually doesn't want to be there as a warrior. She wants to go and explore. She feels this pull. She feels this call to go out and explore places. And she's just like, I wish I Mm -hmm. could disguise myself and go walk around humans for a year and learn about them. Like, she's a scholar. She's not a warrior. She's a warrior scholar at this point. But I think her true calling, I'm going to call it a calling, is, you know. Hello. My name is Megan. I would like to completely rewrite these books with an alternate universe. Emily, I want you to imagine a world in which they didn't kill Gavilar. This war didn't happen. And she becomes And Yasna takes Esh and I as her (laughs) (laughs) warrior. Hey, you're a, you're a, you're a, professional fanfic writer now do you think you could (laughs) dang oh my gosh i would love that story listen i'm really happy with the story we got i'm really happy with it i like to imagine there's a slice of the cosmere multiverse (laughs) in which that's what happened instead um but yeah she wants to be a scholar but she has to be a warrior again Again, going back to our conversation from this very episode about the ability to follow your passions versus the necessity of having to fulfill the role your society needs you to. And that we can't all be like Kaladin, who's like, I'm going to be a soldier because I'm really good at it. Like, yeah, not everybody has that option. Uh, Hey, Emily. What on earth was Gavilar doing that would bring the listeners gods back? I don't know if he was, if it, you can find it in the way of kings or whatever, but I feel like he was doing some sort of ritual 
where he wanted to be mm-hmm. the one to bring if he was the one who was going to start the desolation like i feel like what you're you're doing a, a thingy i don't know what that is i'm trying to imitate a sphere made out of darkness oh i remember that seth took it yeah yeah where is it now where is it now what what is it what kind of light is made out of darkness <laughs> Remember that huge rant I just went on about additive light plus uh, versus subtractive yes. color? Keep that in mind for the future. Probably, but listen, you're going to forget by the time <laughs> it becomes relevant. I'm just going to be honest. Okay. <laughs> oh, we already talked about how bad of an idea it would be if they figured out how to do storm form. Uh, turns out they mm-hmm. have figured out how to do it. So yep. whoops. Oh no. Oh no. I'm I'm afraid that they're just gonna use the the high storms to just like attack, 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 attack the war camps. And that the high storms might be so bad that by the even by the time it reaches like the pure lake or even Shinovar, there's going to be deadly. Mm-hmm. Like And uh Emily, why are they so desperate to discover storm form? What has changed? Since they started fighting the Alethi, that has made this so urgent. They have a surge binder. The humans have a surge binder. They have binder. a surge binder. Who is their, who's the human surge binder? Galadin. It's Galadin. Because <laughs> you know what? In that last battle, something changed. Something, something important. Changed. <laughs> and so they did not previously had a written language. They had a... Emily, what do you call it? Not a verbal language. Oh, yeah. They had an oral history and an oral tradition. And Venli has developed a script, uh, a concept from the humans. Memorizing songs was good, but not perfect, even when you had the rhythms to guide you. So they're making paper, which is extremely rare. Mm -hmm. They actually remind me of the Tusken Raiders from Star Wars. Um this I don't I don't know if this is still considered canon or not because it took place in one of the books that is no longer considered canon but um Luke Skywalker at one point actually goes to spend time with the Tusken Raiders and finds that in order to become like the storyteller because everything they do is is an oral tradition uh if you are like basically taking your test and and telling the story of hey this is the story we're passing down if you get one word wrong you die. You do not pass. Yeah. <gasps> oh my gosh. Yeah. Do not pass. Do not go. Do not collect two hundred dollars. No. So I don't think they are as extreme as that. But it's very interesting that everything is spoken. And so yeah, the idea that they're writing stuff down on paper is interesting. But like Esh and I wants to negotiate with the Alethi. Like she does not yes. really want to fight, and they're just like, they're never gonna do that ever, ever, honey. Sorry. Yeah. Near the near the beginning of the episode, she's like, why hasn't the Blackthorn come back out again? Mm-hmm. Why haven't I seen him? Where's my nemesis? And it's because Dalinar... <laughs> and it's because Dalinar gave away Oathbringer at the end of the last book, and he gave his plate to Renarin. Right. Yeah. No. He didn't? Nope. Okay. He didn't. He doesn't. He doesn't. Can we cut that out? <laughs> no, people should know I mess up sometimes. <laughs> he doesn't. I misremembered something. Okay. 
Right? He wants to eventually, I think. Or he always felt bad that Renarin didn't have plate. And so yeah. he was like, if we, if because we, when he's going to work with Sadius, he's like, if we capture a shard bearer, you get the sword, but my son gets the plate. And Sadius is like, okay, sure, yeah, whatever. Okay, no, no, I was right. <laughs> <laughs> Delinar gives his shard plate to Renarin at the end of the book. When? So Renarin has plate when? now. At the end of the Read book, it. after he... It's in the Way of Kings, chapter 69. Uh, when... Because he, 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 I think it's when he's kicking the crap out of Elokar that he tells him that he's like, I've given away my sword to Sadius. I'm going to give my plate to Renarin. I'm not going to go to fight anymore. I'm going to be the high prince of war. And he's basically, he's basically store manager now. (laughs) And so he hasn't gone back out onto the plains, Mm -hmm. uh, but he has given Renarin his shard plate. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And Renarin, of course, hasn't gone out to any battles. So right. Eshenai couldn't have seen Renarin in Dalinar's shard plate and recognized the Blackthorn's shard. Got so it. anyway. <laughs> um, so Venli and her team are researchers. And they have been recording songs from the elders and dictating them for years and years. Because apparently they've lost a lot of their songs in the past. And so they're trying very hard to preserve the ones that they have mm-hmm. left. And they had actually discovered nimble form through this research. And, and now we've discovered storm form. So we're, we're going to be starting getting up. more of the forms of yeah. power. So uh, they are going to bring this research to something called the five. What do you think the five are? Uh, so I thought the five were the ones that ordered Gavilar's death and who died. But the five seemed to be important. Hey, Emily. Yes. I'm going to have you pat yourself on the ah, back. Did it. I don't know when it's confirmed, but I will tell you that the five, there were five Parshendi there, representatives, who were killed after Gavilar was murdered. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Yasna may even mention it in her. She does. She talks about it, how they like hunted them down. So I want you to know that those those were the five okay. who were there. And I know that's not confirmed. And I'm sorry, listeners, if that's a spoiler. But I told Emily I would tell her more stuff, especially at the rate that we're reading this book. She deserves Thank to know. Thank you, I do. Because she's a genius. And she could read this book in two days if she wanted. But instead, I have now... St- we are only... 200 pages in and we have stretched out these 200 pages over four months and she deserves better than this she deserves better than me (laughs) i wouldn't want better than you (laughs) okay good well luckily this next this next interlude chapter is short as well but um so now we're now we're wrapping up on Eshenai. So I'm going to ask you, what do you think will happen immediately next with Eshenai, Venli, and the listeners? Um, I think they're going to teach everybody storm form, and they are going to just like do like this huge attack with uh, the storm high storms. I think that's what's going to happen. All right, cool. Oh, and I think they're going to try and go. go and kidnap Kaladin or kill him. 
cool. Yeah. They're going to have to race Seth there. <laughs> At one point in Kaladin's chapter, doesn't he say he wish he could fight someone with his abilities? Because if it does, I think it's Seth. <laughs> I don't know if Kaladin says it, but I know in his interludes in the last book, Seth was pissed that no one could match mm-hmm. him. Seth was upset that there's no one who could fight him and kill him because he was not allowed to kill himself. Yeah. And he's mad at how... This is when he's uh, assassinating the king of Yakabed. Yeah. But Seth is furious that it's so easy to kill people and none of them can put up resistance. Mm-hmm. But wow, I wonder if he and Kaladin ever I meet. think they do. Probably because not. It doesn't sound significant a, enough for the story to come to the back of the book? There's no, this. Emily, that's, that's just... That's just artistic license. There's an assassin in white... On a pile that of doesn't have anything. The of the book. And then there's doesn't Kaladin have anything to do with. That's not Kaladin. They're facing Clearly. each other. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's actually this is actually a spoiler for uh, book four. So oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, Seth doesn't come back until Rhythm of War. <laughs> That's a lie. Or is it uh. Rafo? <laughs> hey, let's talk about Im. Um, this was a tragic Im. chapter. Im. It was tragic. So I'm going to give a brief uh. overview of what happens. There's okay. an old man who makes shoes for orphans and is wonderful and is murdered. For something he did 40 years ago. And has obviously been trying to atone for it the whole time. Something he didn't even know he had done until it was too late. Not impressed with this. Least favorite chapter so far. I hate this murderer character. Yeah. I hate this justice guy. Because you and I were talking earlier about what is justice. Emily, is this justice? It's equal it's a life for a life but no it's not because uh i think this eam guy is a radiant because he has a very special spren that he uses to heal a kid and he he it mentions he's done that a few times trying to pass it off as like oh i just have really good herbs or i just have really good medicine so by killing off this guy He's actually, the murderer is actually dooming other people to die. Well then, can we apply this logic to what Amaram has done? That yes, he killed Kaladin and the like his five surviving men, but Amaram believes that he will save hundreds no. of others and therefore it's no. worth it? Because Amaram did it out of greed. I think he told well, himself he was doing it for the good of the people. He just wanted... The shard blade. We or, don't know. Yes, we do. We haven't seen it inside Amaram's head. So, um, Im, Im, Yim. I'm going to call him Yim. I like, I know it's probably something different, but I like putting the Y noise. Right. So, Yim. It's spelled uh, Y-M for those of you who maybe haven't read the book. Yeah. But, yeah. He 
has such a cool and interesting religion that he ends up describing to this urchin. Mm -hmm. Um, We'll get to it in just a second, but this specific spread and becoming more often around his workshop, specks of light like those from a piece of crystal suspended in a sunbeam, and he does not know what kind of spren this Mm -hmm. is. But Emily... Does the behavior of this spread remind you of anything else you've seen across the books? Yes, it reminds me of puzzle. You mean pattern? Pattern. Yes, it does. <laughs> uh, it also reminds Which me of Sill very early name, in the by the way. <laughs> you think pattern's a dumb yes. name? Why? Who did it name itself? Or did did Shalon just name it because it took on the pattern of whatever it's around? I think Shalon. I think Shalon named it. It's a dumb name, Shalon. You can do better. <laughs> Listen, she can't be good at everything. <laughs> she's really bad at the things she's not good at. Anyways, so uh, you were saying he has a really interesting religion. Oh, wait, sorry, we're we're talking about the oh, spread yeah, yeah, yeah. first. The dumb. Oh, the not that... dumb name. Yeah. Uh, the spread doesn't. Ha- the spread doesn't have a name. Not yet. Well, it never will. Not yet. Oh, if you, no, if, if a spren attaches itself to you and you die, what happens to your spren? Does it go find somebody else? Syl says a line about this in the first book. Oh, if Kaladin dies, she'll go stupid again. Mm. So all of the things that she's learned about the human world, if Kaladin died... She'll just do you think would forget. Happen? So I don't know if she could eventually find her way back, but I think it would take her a very long time to do that. Okay. But it seems like so, maybe that's happened before because she talks about things she used to remember. Ah, put it somebody that I used to know. <sighs> anyway, there's a moment as the Spren and Yim are talking back and forth, and then the Spren freezes and says, He comes. And Yim thinks She's referencing the orphan who shows up. Mm-hmm. Sadly, no. She will be referencing this strange justice giver. And I'm sorry, we're gonna we're gonna shorten this discussion of this part of the interlude a bit because we are almost two hours into the episode. <laughs> you, I'm trying to get better at this, you guys. <laughs> but he talks about that you and I are one. Emily, what is the one? I don't know if it's. So he believes everyone is the one that everyone, I don't know if it means he believes everyone reincarnates and eventually you're just going to be every single person in the entire world, but basically everyone is connected together. Mm -hmm. That they all started from a single being called the one that has divided and grown and learned and eventually all pieces of the one will be rejoined and all memory and all experiences will be returned to the one. And the kid doesn't like this. He thinks it's he thinks it's unfair. Oh, Emily, I just love the scene where he's making little, little orphan shoes, <laughs> and he fixes his feet because there's a there's yeah, a... and he uses. <gasps> so we've we've seen people use stormlight to heal themselves, mm-hmm. and he is able to use stormlight to heal someone yeah. else. Yeah. That sounds like it could be useful. Yeah, except he's dead. As he lets the boy go and the boy runs, this 
we're gonna for now just call him the constable because that's what that's what uh, Yim thinks that he is. Mm-hmm. Oh, also, sorry, real fast. Where is this interlude taking place? The the man says that he sorry. Uh, Yim says that he is Iriali. That he and the urchin boy are both Iriali. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that they're in their own land. Really? I think they are. Well, it sounds like when he's just like, oh, wow, this kid's Iriali, like, he thinks that's, like, weird. Oh, do you know what? You're right. You're correct. At the same time, could you find Eerie on the map for me? Gotta find the map first. Hold on. It's clear over to the west. Like, it's the west coast. Northwest. It's like California, Washington, Oregon area. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we have actually been to Iriali before. We've been to Erie before. When? Uh, Axes the Collector was in Kazator, which is a city in Erie. Um, the the guy with the shadow that goes the wrong way, and he he's yes. the Spren Collector. Mm-hmm. So we have been to Erie before. Um, the people, the Iriali people, have golden blonde hair. And wear painted patterns of their skin of many different colors. Okay. There you go. That's cool. So anyway, the constable shows up. A man with dark makabaki skin, all save for a pale crescent on his cheek. He wore black and silver, a uniform, but not one from any military that Yim recognized. Emily, what is this guy here for? He's here to collect... I'm going to say justice. I don't believe it's justice. But but basically you find out that uh, something happened 40 years ago. Yim didn't even know that the bottle of wine was poison. Like he was just used for this. But the, the person doesn't even doesn't even care. Because like Yim's like, I didn't know. I didn't know it would kill her. And, and it doesn't matter that it was 40 years ago and that Yim has been like kind of atoning for it ever since. He pulls out a the constable pulls out a shard blade and oh it's so like i thought the spren was gonna save him like i thought they were gonna pull off some cool radiant whatever but like the guy says justice does not expire the man shoved the shard blade through yin's chest experience ended like oh (laughs) we have seen this constable Twice before in the series. When? We have seen him in both prologues. Okay. Elokar is speaking to him at the high table in the prologue of book one. What? And I'm going to read you a bit in book two. Okay. Where um, Yasna has gone to Shadesmar and come back and she's moving through the feast after she's even talked to her assassin as well Mm -hmm. and she hears some words echoing in the hallways where two men are talking I'm worried about Ash you're worried about everything Yasna hesitated in the hallway she's getting worse the voice continued we weren't supposed to get worse am I getting worse I think I feel worse shut up I don't like this. What we've done was wrong. That creature carries my lord's own blade. We shouldn't have let him keep it. He... The two passed through the intersection ahead of Yasna. They were ambassadors from the west, including the Azish man with the white birthmark on his cheek. Or was it a scar? The shorter of the two men, he could have been a lethe, cut off when he noticed Yasna. He let out a squeak, then hurried on his way. 
The Azish man, the one dressed in black and silver, stopped and looked her up and down. He frowned. Is the feast over already? Yasna asked down the hallway. Her brother had invited these two to the celebration along with every other ranking foreign dignitary in Kolinar. Yes, the man said. His stare made her uncomfortable. She walked forward anyway. I should check further into these two, she thought. She'd investigated their backgrounds, of course, and found nothing of note. Had they been talking about a shard blade? So this is now the third time we've seen this guy. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And yeah, like you said, Yim did not commit a crime. He was an unwilling patsy. He delivered the murder weapon, which was the wine, and a woman ended up dead. And this, who we're calling the constable, kills him for it. I don't like it. Ugh, me neither. I hate it. I hate this guy. <laughs> Listeners, I'm sorry if you like this guy. I hate this guy. But again, this is one of the running questions of the book of when is killing justified? Yeah. You know, can you kill to protect people? Uh, there are the people who die and the people who kill them. Is there any position in the middle? Was Yasna right when she did the lesson? Was Amaram justified in his decision? You know, is is Seth justified in... Is what... Uh, what am I trying to say? Is Seth compelled to kill or does he kill for his own sense of honor? Uh, now that we're finding out more about the listeners, what are the ramifications of this war that we've been having? So... Uh, apparently this character has already made his own decisions when it comes to when is it right to kill and when is it wrong. Mm-hmm. So, and he answers, it feels like to no one. So, mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> <sighs> listen, we got to cut it. We got to cut it here for tonight. Okay. Uh, what Emily, are we reading I'm next? Re- I'm real sorry, but we are only reading two more interludes. No, I wanted to have it as an Amaram. Maybe he's in the interludes. No, he's not. (laughs) (laughs) I am so sorry. Uh, The next interlude is called... Oh, wait, wait, wait. What? what, I'm so sorry. I forgot to bring up the heralds that are in front of the first two interludes that we've read. Okay. So, in front of Eshenai's chapter... We have the uh, Herald Shalash. Mm-hmm. So do you, I know it's been a bit, do you remember Shalash and like who she is and what she represents? I remember she is missing from King Gavilar's statue collection, even though it was someone else who was missing. Oh my gosh, great <laughs> mind. Good Girl, job, You're not going to remember the darkness in a few <laughs> chapters, Emily. <laughs> it's not a few chapters it's like a few books so just okay. uh so she is the herald she's the patron of light weavers which is shalon's uh order mm-hmm. and she is about like creativity and art and beauty and so in eshenai's chapter was there any people trying to be creative or do artwork yes it was okay and so the next chapter is yim's uh yim's chapter which we just read 
and the the lady okay so this is how we can start trying to tell them apart so Yezrian is a man and he wears a crown and a beard mm-hmm. um Shalash is a woman and she wears a circlet with a gem and earrings on it okay uh and then the next one is Vedel Vedel um and she is a woman and she does not have a crown or earrings but she does have a hood on her head. Um, so Vedel, also known as Vedaletiv, that's her palindromic Voran form. Nice. She is the order of uh, edge dancers. Ooh. And you don't know a lot about edge dancers. No, I've never heard of them yet. You haven't. Um, but she is mentioned in Words of Radiance Chapter 1. Apparently, people swear by her name. Okay. Vediv's Golden Keys. Anyway, anyway, I'm just, long story short. Remember during the desolation where these heralds showed up and they're like, this person's going to teach you to do this and we're going to teach you this art. We're going to teach you this art. We're going to teach you this art. This isn't really a spoiler. I'm just going to give you more herald information. She's the one that teaches people about medicine. Okay. So the fact that Yim was, you know, healing this orphan boy, I think that's why Vettel was the herald of his chapter got it but anyway the next two interludes we are going to read uh interlude three about risen and we're going to read interlude four about esh and i (gasps) emily i have great news and you're going to be so happy okay you've met risen before yes we talked about this she is the apprentice the Mm -hmm. in shinovar that has to take care of grass she has to take care of pot of grass. So I am going to read you the first line of this next chapter. Risen liked to pretend that her pot of shin grass was not stupid, but merely contemplative. <laughs> I like it. There you go. I like it. So, uh, and the reason why we're only doing two is <laughs> Risen's chapter is long. <laughs> All right. And, and that's the thing with, with this book is the interludes are long. And then we're going to get one more Esh and I chapter. So tune in, listeners, when oh, I am going to try to get our time down on these episodes. <laughs> you know what? No. I promise nothing. I take it back. I promise nothing. Our next episode is going to be seven hours. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> that means I have to edit it. And that's so long. I know. And Emily, I'm so sorry that it's drip by drip, but <laughs> hopefully now that we know my new schedule, uh, we can make it happen. I am so excited to get into part two. Me too. It'll be really, 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 really fun. Should I tell you the point of view readings in part two now, or should I wait till next we'll week? We'll wait till next week. Okay. Also, before we forget, we need to pick a song for the playlist. Yes. Yes. Which Tell everyone the name of the playlist so they can search it. Playlist is My Sister Made Me a Playlist <laughs> on Spotify. All right. So in honor of meeting the listeners for the first time, uh, we are going to add our first song from a musical. Uh, the song for this week is Listen from Dreamgirls. Yeah. <laughs> Listen. Yeah. So to read you the first stanza is listen to the song here in my heart, a melody I start but can't complete. 
Listen to the sound from deep within. It's only beginning to find release. And this is in honor of the listeners trying to rediscover their songs and their forms. I love it. That's so sweet. (laughs) All right, everyone. We got to get out of here. We got to go. We got to go. So I got to get back to doing script notes. And Emily? I got to get back to editing our podcast so I can put it out tomorrow. (laughs) I edit the one that's coming out tomorrow. Oh, I have to put it on the website. Okay. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Bye. I believe in you. Believe I believe in you. In you. <laughs> okay, we forgot how to intro in our own podcast. <laughs>